Category is mental health. Category is it takes a village. Category is motherfucking stories over stigma. everybody welcome back to the show welcome back to another week uh we're a little late for our live recording tonight thank you for listening but to you won't week. even notice oh sorry well you know it. um you know live shows you get what you get um our guest we have to let her know that she has to accept um the speaker invite it should pop up on her uh her screen and she just needs to accept it so she can come on over and um yeah, you know, it's it's a little late. It's Friday night, but you know what? It's good because I've been drinking. So. There's Amy. Oh, there's Amy. Oh, our guest host, Amy. Oh, she's already. Yeah, you invited her as an admin. Yeah, yeah she's already here. Hey, we Amy. Probably should How do are you? Oh, you mean like invite other? Well, if we... it's true. I guess I could have uh, done that as well. Send it again. Yeah, she... she just needs to accept it. Yeah, she says she will. Yeah. Okay, that's all she needs to do. That's excellent. All right, let's see if she if it gets over there. All right, you know. Meanwhile, while we're setting this up, you know what? It's another exciting week. We are back. Of course, this is our first really cool like show with uh, Doctor D as the guest host. Uh, actually, that's not true because you've been you've been on the show before. You're like you're yeah. no stranger to the show, right? But what? Why are you looking at me crazy? Get yourself together. Get myself again. Well, you know what? Okay, look, look I'm just going to be candid, everyone. I've, like, finished an entire bottle of red. Um, <laughs> so I'm in a good mood right now. I am not going to – I tell you this. I'm not going to embarrass you or anyone else. So, But I will tell you that I am feeling very relaxed. I'm in this zen space right now. <laughs> <laughs> what you weren't supposed to drink the whole bottle i wasn't supposed to you know what that's true you know what we're not supposed to drink the whole bottle but it's been a, a good week to it's drink a whole bottle yeah a long week it, yeah and nothing says mental health po- um cast live like saying starting with i drank a whole bottle of wine although to right? be fair, i had vodka so i'm not oh, in this mm-hmm. uh- <laughs> tiny little airplane sized bottle but you know i suppose in one sense i drank a whole bottle of vodka it's funny because all of us that are supposed to be completely responsible are totally right? like. Right, at least it's not the mental health patient that drank a whole <laughs> bottle of wine. Yeah, that's the way. Oh, is she okay? Did she make it? Yeah, she is had she... to um, do something with her email. Oh, did she? Yeah. I mean, she's here. She just needs no, to here. accept. Yeah, so like, all right, so let's just talk about like the stress of the week. Like, what do you want to mm-hmm. talk about? Because there's a lot of meat out there, ladies. There's, so... a, there's a lot of meat. I think the biggest thing that happened in my little part of the world is um, my brother, his surgeries went okay, and he got the okay to start walking, 
um, and they want him on a stationary bike, but his skin graft did not take on his shin bone. Mm. And so they went in today and they cleaned up the old skin graft and everything. And they are going to try and do it again. But if it doesn't take the second time, he's looking at amputation. Mm-hmm. So we're really yeah. hopeful that this takes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the poor bloke, you know, it's like he's been through enough. And then like to be facing possible amputation. I mean, granted, it's not the end of the life, but, you know, you do have to like step up to it's the It's still task. traumatizing. Yeah, it's traumatizing. You know, what do you do with that? You know, Amy, like, okay, so if I was an amputee and I came to you, like, what would you do to, like, tell them that it'll be okay? Like, what what coping mechanisms should you I mean, use? somebody who, you know, is not an amputee should probably not be telling an amputee it'll be okay. <laughs> I just feel true. like that would come across Very a little true. fake. Um, right, right, <laughs> right. I think it would be more like, you know, listening to them, letting them express, letting them talk about what they need. Um, there are some interesting things you can do about phantom limb syndrome. Mm. Like that can be treated if you should end up with phantom limb syndrome. Um, but I feel like more of it would, in a case like that, where you're mourning a loss like that, it would be so much more about like helping that person explore their experience and have the journey they needed to have. Right. But what do you what do you mean by in you know the journey they need to have? You mean like grieving yeah. and in and and sort of coming coping and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Grieving, figuring out you know what what community they need around him, and yeah, family, yeah, friends. But do they need to find some kind of space in person or online where they can expand their support system to more people who can understand their experience? Um, understanding what this changes about their life, what stays the same, what important parts of life they still have. Yeah. um, Mourning that loss kind of eventually as they get ready, moving forward to decide, you know, what kind of a life they can still have that is going to be valuable to them. But I mean, you really have to let them take that journey themselves and just kind of be there to witness and make sure they're safe and everything. Right. I mean, I mean, and that's exactly what just sucks about Mm -hmm. this whole situation, because Mm -hmm. at that moment, you know what, you don't feel like everything is going to be all right. Right. Of course, we we talked to you last week when we had the show with you and Joel, like about how he is already like not necessarily doing the things he needs to do to take care of himself. And then how do you get to that from that point to, okay, I need to reconcile the fact that I don't have a leg anymore. I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, when he can see parts of his life that are still valuable that are not as affected, but that's a long journey. Sometimes you just have to be able to sit with and, you know, allow that person to be unhappy, to be grieving for a while, to be discouraged. Right. But just to have company on that that journey until they get ready to start easing their way out of it. Right. No, I, I think, you know, I mean, I think that's probably the best advice you could possibly yeah. give someone when they're absolutely going through this right mm-hmm. now, you know, like, you know, so, you know, Godspeed and definitely wish him well mm-hmm. in through this entire journey. 
Um, you know, I, I think another thing that's pressing on everyone's hearts is sort of what's going on in Eastern Europe. And there are a lot of people in America that have family and friends or have worked in Eastern Europe. And mm-hmm. they're probably dealing with all of this like trauma mm-hmm. because, I mean, think about it. I mean, we just came through COVID. I mean, before that, we went through the, the former leader of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we, we've gone through a lot. Yeah. How do, how do we cope with all that, Amy? I think one of the things that just first occurred to me when I realized, yeah, yeah, just how much the country has been through for how long is like there are children growing up right now who don't really remember anything but distress. So they're growing up in like a fundamentally different world than a lot of us who are you a little older and can remember, you know, at least somewhat more optimistic times. Um, yeah, yeah. Like when we actually like had in person school, we were out yeah. in public. We didn't have masks. We, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, there. It's traumatizing to think mm-hmm. that 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 like life has completely changed. Right. She's she's gonna come in as a call-in. She's gonna come in a call-in. Okay. Yeah. She sees that. Yeah. Okay. She's mm-hmm. able to see the call-in button, so I told her to click the call-in. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Click the call-in button. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. I'm sorry, Amy. Go ahead. You have to find, I think, some spaces that feel safe, people who feel emotionally safe so that you can remember, you know, or in some cases, maybe find out for the first time when, if they were very young when all this started, you know, what safe actually feels like. Um, you know, for some of us, we just have to remember that, but some people have to learn that experience for the first time. Um Community is going to be a big thing, supportive community. Um, feeling like there's something you can do, you know, picking one part of all of this, one tiny, tiny part of all of it. Okay, this piece is mine, this is mine to handle, and I can contribute in this way. You know, right. whatever that way happens to be, so that you feel like you have at least some power over the situation. Oh, I think someone... No, oh. that was me. Oh, oh, that was you. Okay. Oh. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't make times that are this difficult, you know, just you know, pretend they're happy or make them happy. You know, it's right. another situation where you kind of have to let it be what it is until it passes and just do the best you can with it. That's true. I mean, I, I mean, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. You know, to our guest that's coming this week, you know, is it easier for her to get on her phone to come on? She is on her phone. And that, and she's not getting the request to invite a speaker. I guess not. That's that's weird because everyone really yeah. does. Yeah. Honestly, my link didn't work um, all that well. I just came in through Podbean. Oh, you're kidding! Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For some reason, it just opened something up in Google. Okay, so let me. She's gonna go out and come back in. Let mm-hmm. let me try to tell her that I'm gonna email her again the link. Mm-hmm. She's going to go out and come back in. Okay. And we'll just, yeah, tell her to click on the link that I sent her. Okay. It'll probably work then. Um, It's it's not that I think I sent the wrong leak. It was my fault. It was how I sent it. I copy and paste straight from Google Mm -hmm. and it had the Google like link on it. Um, That was kind of an extension or like some sort of transitional type of URL. That was completely my fault. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, there's a lot of coping mechanisms we can use, mm-hmm. like to to really kind of get through this moment. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, you know, I was on TikTok the other day, 
Mm-hmm. And I I think I posted this on Bipolar Girls website, and I don't know if it's legit or not because people were questioning the legitimacy of it. Uh-huh. But there was certainly like someone on there crying and mm-hmm. like sobbing while like the sirens were going on, mm-hmm. you know, or off rather in Ukraine and mm-hmm. in one of the cities. And I have to tell you that it was heart, it was gut wrenching. Like yeah. I could not handle it. And I think there's a there's a considerable amount of PTSD that's going on right now. Trauma, let me just say right. that. Because even my kids, like they've all, like one has a friend in Poland. The other one's just worried about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as as families are trying to cope with this, we don't realize how this, this media and stuff, it's affecting us. So, mm-hmm. you know, what would you say to someone, um, um, you know, mm-hmm. a family trying to cope with this moment? I think a lot of it would depend on the circumstances of the family. If it was somebody in the Ukraine, you know, you don't really focus on, you know, treatment or care emotionally necessarily until you focus on making sure somebody's safe. So that might even be something that comes later. You know, you, you make sure people are physically safe, find a way to get them someplace physically safe before you even focus on the emotional parts I mean, what we think of trauma is a survival response that's happening in a situation that's not a survival situation. So that brain state is completely appropriate and healthy when there's actual danger. And it's only, you know, a trauma, a problem when the danger is over and your brain is still in that state trying to help you survive. So, you know, to be in a situation where you still have to ensure your basic safety is very different from dealing with the same brain state later on, if that makes sense. No, that, 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 that totally makes sense. Like the last um, thing I'm going to do is take somebody who's still in danger and try and calm down the survival response that's helping them keep going. Mm. Channel mm. it a little bit, yeah, but not take that resource away from them. So if you, you even could. Right. So how are you handling all this, Amy? I mean, you know, you have to deal with other people's mm-hmm. problems and you're seeing what's happening in the news. Like, mm-hmm. how are you handling all this? Um, a lot of it, honestly, is just, you know, every therapist and everybody, not, not even therapists alone, but everybody who wants to work with people who are going through this stuff, you have to learn the skills to switch it off, mm. to recognize, okay, I've done my thing for today. I've done what I can for today. And so like, um, long, long time ago, I discovered that one of the best things for me was, you know, to just blast some loud music and do some exercise, like right after work, like literally, you know, clinical notes are finished. Music is on. I'm moving. Yeah. I mean, Um, you know, if if I were in your position, I mean, quite mm -hmm. frankly, you know what I would have to, or I'd, I'd explode. Right. That, or, you know, let's say, you know, it was one of the times at work when I'm taking the train home, you know, I'd have a book with me. That book would be open the second I'm sitting down on that train. Something, I call it flipping the switch. You have got to mark the moment when the workday ends, you've done everything you can, and now it's your time. And you know, make sure you have, you know, company, recreation, conversation that isn't about work so that you have a whole life outside of that. That kind of restores you and feeds you back that energy so that you can take it to work the next day. 
Well, I can tell you, everyone out there across the globe, we did that because uh-huh. Amy was popping her vodka, I had my wine, <laughs> and Rebecca had her beverage as well, and we were all unwinding from the long mm-hmm. week. So we did do exactly that. I'm not condoning it. I'm not telling you that that's how you have to do it. I'm just telling you that's how we did it. And I ended up polishing an entire bottle of wine. I didn't mean to. It just kind of happened. Come on. You know, it's mm-hmm. really easy to do. Am I- Sounds very braggy. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm only trying to rationalize the fact that I finished mm-hmm. an entire bottle of wine but i don't do it every weekend or i don't Mm -hmm. do it every month i don't even do it every three months i do it every now and then so Mm -hmm. anyway um let's see so you know what we've had enough with that let's we finally got our guest on to talk about what is weeks or this week's show uh let's let's yeah let's do the intro All right, honey, you want to introduce our, our, our guests for uh, this week. Okay, so something that we've wanted to do for a long time is have a caregiver on because usually we're talking to somebody that has mental illness, you know, in particular bipolar, and we usually only get Steven's side of the story for a caregiver, and so we've always been interested in having a caregiver on the show. And... Um, we found I found our guest through TikTok. Um, she has a TikTok page, and it really piqued my interest because she talks very openly and bluntly about um, taking care of her husband, who is bipolar, and you know what she goes through, what her family goes through, what he goes through. Um, so we invited her to come on the show tonight. Yay! Hi, I'm so hi. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can yes. hear you. Wow, you sound really happy right now. That's incredible. <laughs> I am a high energy person. <laughs> I excellent. Well, you know, welcome cool. to the show. Our our, ga- our guest host is uh, Dr. Amy Doremus. Uh, we were uh, nice to connect with Amy Hi. three seasons ago, and she's included us in her book. Um, of course, there's me, Stephen, who is uh, the caregiver, I guess, or at least spouse. I don't know how much caregiving I do, you know, but you know. I mean, you did a lot in the beginning. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you, you know, and you know what? And I guess that's a testament to like how cool and how far we've come. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and uh, and your situation? Sure. Yeah. So, um, my name is Laura, and I've been with my husband for twenty years. We've been married for sixteen years, and. Um, he was diagnosed nine months after we got married, but we'd been together three and a half years before we got married. So it was kind of like four years after and then boom, everything hit. Um, and really, I think it's been a journey for both of us, obviously, because <laughs> we neither one really kind of knew what was going on at first and through just time and, you know, we've evolved and grown and um, we just decided that like him, his name is Cody and in his personal life, like if you just knew him in general, he is very, um, open. Um, he's so open frequently people will, uh, in our, in our personal life will be like, Oh my gosh, is this really happening right now? Is he really talking about this? But he is. And so, um, we decided that we wanted to kind of share our story and he's not as, I don't know like on TikTok as much as I was. And, um, but he's totally supportive. So that's kind of what we started in 2020. So. 
that's interesting that that is extremely interesting because i think the story is very parallel you know i think to the extent of the fact that you hung in there three years before you were married i mean you did you realize within the three years while you were we were dating i guess um uh what his condition was no no i had no idea um all i know is that i it was like it was an immediate connection with each other and um, I just, I don't know if you guys, I'm old, probably older than you guys. So there was- How old are you? I'm old 41. Oh, no, no. I'm 45. Like Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and, 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 and Rebecca, I always want to say she has not aged since 36. No, 38. But she's 38. So no, no, we, we are tracking with you. We're all yeah. in the same age group. So I'm 46. Okay. No way. Yeah. Yeah, you're not. You're not 46. I have Okay. Okay. Never mind. That's another show for another day. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Finish. Finish. Like wrap. So yeah, I think. In. Well, basically, he still to this day remains the most fun person I've ever been around. I mean, I he, bet he has. He is a larger than life, um, fun guy. <laughs> and so I where, think. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, where do you guys live? Uh, Colorado. <gasps> really? You, you yeah. know Rebecca. You know Rebecca's from Colorado, right? No. Oh my gosh! Really cool. Yeah, I was born and raised Colorado native. Um, we lived all over the place. So we lived in Denver and Longmont and Thornton and Littleton. Like we've been all over the place. And when we got married, when she, when she left the military to go back, and then we, we moved had our to Highlands Ranch. We moved to Highlands Ranch. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. Small yeah, well, well, Colorado has become so cosmopolitan now too. Like you wouldn't, For even sure. realize, yeah, you didn't even realize it anymore. <laughs> All right, so so you hooked up with Cody, and and I don't mean that in a hooked up like, oh yeah, we had a fun night, but I mean like you guys well, connected. Too, but yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> listen. Look, when I, I look, we're very candid about how fun it was <laughs> to marry someone who was not medicated when, or at least to date them when uh -huh. we were uh, first dating. It was it was a lot of fun, quite frankly. It was. Yeah, it was a lot to make you blush. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. So okay. So you didn't know and never knew uh, for the entire three times uh, or the three years you were dating. So how did that unfold? How did it unpack in your life in terms of realizing there was a mental illness? Yeah. So my first tip off was he smoked so much. He was in a band and he smoked so much weed and I don't smoke weed. Like I'm not saying I'm perfect and don't do stuff. I do, you know, I drink and stuff, but I was just, I remember, I remember specifically asking him once I was like, dude, like you are smoking like all the time. Is it that hard to live in, like to live with your authentic self? And he, without even thinking, without even flinching was like, yes. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? Like, so that was kind of like my first, like, and the other thing about him is, um, you know, I'm in the Mile High City, so all the jokes are true um, with mm -hmm. the people that live here. And I really trust me, we know. Don't you worry. <laughs> I have a hard time, honestly, with people who are like that typical like snowboarder, like, what's up, Laura? What's up, girl? How you doing? Like, you yeah. know, like that. He's not like that. He would smoke and get focused. He would smoke and be like on it. And it made no sense, except there must have been something with 
his brain that was different. So anyway, mm-hmm. that maybe was my first tip off, but we still didn't really know. So what, what caused him to see a doctor to get diagnosed? Oh, man. Um, well, he says it probably had to go down this way for him to have accepted the diagnosis. But um, yeah, nine months into us being married, he started. And I, don't, I you have to understand, I know all the symptoms and everything now, probably like a lot of your listeners. Mm-hmm. But at the time, this seemed so bizarre. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, so he was smoking weed, like I said, and then he thought the DEA was after him. <laughs> it was like, dude, the DEA is not after you for this. Like, what are you doing? And he was like, peering out our windows. And he was super paranoid. And <laughs> he was like, <laughs> yeah, be respectful, because he's my partner. But at the same time, it's like, no one is after you for this. Like, why are you behaving like this? And then he would, what I didn't know it at the time, but would become really grandiose. I remember he was working as a server and the boss said something to do something. He told him no. And then I guess the boss, he was like, what are you going to do? Fire me? So yeah, the boss fired him. And I was like, Cody, walk me through what you thought would happen if you told your boss to fire you. So it was like stuff like that. And then it all just culminated into um, he started like crawling in and out of people's cars at a blockbuster. You guys are old enough to know what that is. Oh, my God. I don't know what he was doing. I can't remember. I mean, obviously, in his mind, it was a rational thing to do. but it wasn't, and that's what got him hospitalized. And from there, they told me he had schizophrenia. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they were like, everything should make sense now. And I'm like, nothing makes sense. That makes no sense. Like, he's never acted like he has schizophrenia. But then ultimately, he was transferred to another facility and diagnosed with bipolar one with psychotic features. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the story. Wow. Wow. I'm, I, I don't know where to start with it. Amy, do you have any feedback? Like, I, I just don't know where to go with that yet. So what was going on with him crawling in and out of people's cars at Blockbuster? I feel like was he, like- he was like looking for something, you know, and just mm-hmm. had lost like all that um, frontal lobe kind of mm-hmm. impulse. Right. Control. <laughs> yeah. So how many years has it been since he's been diagnosed? Okay, so that was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so Laura, it must have been really hard at this moment. I mean, let's just let's just let's focus on this moment because I remember when it was like what it was like when I experienced, yeah, when I experienced the illness versus when I received the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. For me, the diagnosis was almost liberating mm. because it meant that Rebecca was not necessarily in control mm-hmm. that she was not just acting bizarre because she was a bizarre person. There was a clinical reason because mm-hmm. I was extremely, I was scared. I was worried mm-hmm. and I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what do you, what do you, I mean, let's pause on that moment right now. Like when you were just before you got the diagnosis, like what were you thinking in your head? Um, Man, I mean, I was so young. So I was like 25, I mean, 25. Like, I, I was scared. Yeah, like you said, I had no really idea what was going on. Um, sadly, like my family, there's not, it's like a total mental health stigma family. Um, 
And we even had someone, I remember growing up, I talk about it in one of my TikToks, who had schizophrenia across kind of kitty corner to my house. And mm-hmm. he was just known as schizo. And I wasn't allowed near the house. I wasn't allowed any interactions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I grew up. So I was scared of people with mental illness. Like that's what was ingrained with me was to be scared and to not be anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. And so when they told me in the hospital that he had schizophrenia, I was like, oh my God. I mean, I literally like was on my knees bawling. Mm. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't even know, like really, I just remember crying a lot and I'm actually not a crier. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe in crying. People should cry and let their emotions out. I just happen not to be one, but I remember I just was like crying uncontrollably. It didn't make sense. Nothing about him except like the last two weeks, like would have alluded to schizophrenia um and yeah then they then he got transferred and in that hospital i remember visiting him or that treatment facility and coming out of it and the nurse in the elevator was like how you doing and i was like horrible and she was like so she stopped the elevator i remember and she was like tell me what's going on it was really awesome that she took that time to talk to me and i was like this is horrible i'm like and i'd never been to a psych ward so i mean my god i wasn't even allowed around one man with schizophrenia in our neighborhood who was functional okay so now i'm in a mental hospital where all these people are not functional they're in crisis and i looked at this nurse and i was like this is horrible cody's not like them and she was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, he's not crazy. And, oh, she laid it down, but I needed it. Like, she mm-hmm. laid it down. She's like, these people are just people. And she had a great talk with me. And that nurse, I wish I knew who she was so I could go back and thank her. But it was a very eye-opening, good kind of come-to-Jesus mm-hmm. moment for me. And so, Amy, the, uh, what do you say about – because this has got to be common with folks – who are living in families with individuals with mental illness, like that moment, that's not unique. Like you Mm -hmm. all feel like, oh, that person's not like that. Or come on, you're kidding me. What is, I mean, it's like, what do you say to a person? Because I know you've written an entire book about Mm -hmm. how to be a caregiver. What do you say about that moment? Let's focus on that moment of discovery. So I think that what a lot of caregivers feel the most is like their own life falling apart. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of stigma that people have to get past, um, you know, have that come to Jesus meeting. Um, A lot of the stigma is even, you know, relatively kind. It's not like, oh, my God, I'm scared of the crazy people. But, you know, having a lot of false information. Um, And then I think one of the biggest things for caregivers is like that moment when it seems like their life is falling apart. Like what's going to happen here you know, I had a perfectly good life. I planned this well. Um, what did I do? What mistake did I make? What did I not see? And like, am I ever going to be able to have that happy life again? Is it ever coming back? You know, kind of parallel to what a lot of people experience when they get their diagnosis. Okay, now I've got this diagnosis. What does that mean for the rest of my life? And am I ever getting a real life back? And I think if you can answer that deeper concern, you know, you know, here's what happens now. You know, here's some of the options here's some of the ways that you can get, you know, care and support. And they understand that, you know, it's going to be a rough journey, but yeah, you can get to the point where you have a life again. And this isn't like the end of everything happy. Mm-hmm. Then they're a lot more open to hearing about any other kind of destigmatizing information that they might need to hear. Mm-hmm. 
if that makes sense. Well, I will tell you that um, at the time, I don't know if you guys know this song, but it's by The Fray, and it was like How to Save a Life. That uh-huh. song was super popular during this episode, this very first episode, and I listened to it on repeat, and mm-hmm. even though it was about a friend that they lost to, um, I think, a heroin addiction mm-hmm. is what I read at the time, uh-huh. it so resonated, and the lines that resonated was, where did I go wrong? I lost a friend somewhere in the bitter end. Um, you go and talk to them, you go left and they stay right. Like that really was, it was so confusing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where did he go? Like, where is my larger than life, fun, Mm -hmm. lover, partner, husband? Like, where Mm -hmm. did he go? And will he ever come back? That is exactly Mm -hmm. how I felt. Right. So you get this diagnosis and you have a family who doesn't agree or even acknowledge yeah doesn't agree or even acknowledge mental illness right (laughs) how how do you go to now your family and be like hey that guy that we all loved like yeah he's he's crazy oh (laughs) how do you do that well they didn't love him Um, so there was that okay (laughs) (laughs) I did and I was convinced like I I really just like there was so many that my there's just all the things like my family. I grew up Catholic. His family grew up Mormon. So a Mormon me marrying a Mormon meant I was marrying into a cult. And like it was just all the things. (laughs) So I will not. And I remember like I was the happiest bride on my wedding day. I was smiling from ear to ear. Like even when I met Cody, he always laughs for the first year. He kissed my teeth because I was so giddy to be with him that I just could not stop smiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like even up to my wedding day, my family was like, Laura, are you sure? Are you sure you want to marry this guy? Like, I mean, so no, like to say that they no. I mean, that 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 was that was even harder because then I'm like, great. Like, yeah, so they I- already don't agree with this. And now you have to tell them that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, luckily at the time, my mom, for all of their faults, I do, I did have a, I do have a good relationship with my mom. So for all of the, and my dad, you know, he just, he, he has PTSD from Vietnam and like CPSD mm-hmm. from childhood that he just won't acknowledge and possibly borderline personality disorder. And somehow mm-hmm. he's been able to manage without any professional help. And so in his mm-hmm. mind, you suck it up. You yeah. suck mm-hmm. it up because he did. So Mm -hmm. what's your problem? (laughs) You know, like, and so, Mm -hmm. ah, so like my mom was, was more open to hearing stuff. And so I just remember I bought all these books. I got bipolar for dummies. It's like a book, um, like Mm -hmm. a legit book. Um, And then I got loving someone with bipolar disorder and one more. And I remember opening the bipolar for dummies book. And there was just stories of what to me seemed like people with really bad personality flaws like spending all their money or mm-hmm. cheating on their partner, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and like, we all know now, like all of you know that that's can be symptomatic of mania, but yeah. to me and my family, that's just an asshole. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> and so anyways, I was reading these and my mom was willing to at least listen. And I'd be like, oh, all these people do this. Like, this is like a thing. Like people with bipolar disorder, like do this. This, this isn't just a personality flaw. And she was more willing to listen. And she had a hairdresser who had a family full of people with bipolar. And that hairdresser recommended a NAMI online uh, support group. Mm-hmm. And so I went to that support group. And from there, it was the same thing. More and more stories that were all 
like similar to mine and Cody's that made me realize, yeah, this is his disorder. This is not him, you know, doing mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. I think that's one of the liberating things about getting the diagnosis, because even as the person with the disorder, like you kind of just sit there and be like, am I just an asshole? Like, mm -hmm. am I just flawed as a person? And then once you get a diagnosis and you learn that, no, this is just your brain malfunctioning or whatever, mm -hmm. like that's, that's comforting in a way, because mm -hmm. now you know that you're not just a jerk. Actually, well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you, call, you'd agree with that. Right. And you could absolutely be just be an asshole, but there's at least a reason yes. why you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So and like when you talk to someone, they're like, wow, you're an asshole. Well, like, well, you know what? Because I have an illness. Well, and that's what you went through. Right. Because during that time, I I was an asshole. Yeah, you were big one and yeah. like then we had a reason for why i was because i wasn't before the only problem is, is i was intelligent enough to understand that your assholeness was tied to a clinical like uh explanation mm -hmm. where other people were just like oh you just need to prey on it or oh, you know it's all about you know you know your spiritual walk mm -hmm. yeah but or, i mean that know. was your side of the family but my side of the family was a lot like what laura was saying just suck it up yeah just suck mm -hmm. it up just suck it up it. like we all have our issues right that's true amy yeah, just don't be bipolar don't be bipolar. <laughs> just yeah anything but that right <laughs> so then so then okay so so now the diagnosis you have now done some research laura you have gone to support groups and now you're living in it mm -hmm. i mean you're knee deep in it like so one minute everything's great the next minute nothing you can do is wrong why don't you tell us a little bit about um that journey from diagnosis to getting the medication right yeah, so he was heavily over-medicated after he came out of the treatment facility um, on mood stabilizers and the I, – I learned a new term from someone on my TikTok called neuroleptics, and I like mm -hmm. that term much more than I like antipsychotics. <laughs> okay, let's pause on that. I've never it's, heard that term It's a before. different term for antipsychotics. Right. Yes, really? and it's so much better. It is a lot better, and it doesn't hold the same stigma as the word psychotic does. Exactly. So, because to tell just a random person I'm on antipsychotics, like yep. now they think that you're yep batshit. But yeah. if you tell them that you're taking this medication, they're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, Amy, neuroleptic. Oh, mm -hmm. neuro must have neuroleptic. Well, Amy, t where, where did this come from? Which part? The neuroleptic. The neuroleptic Why part. Why did we start calling them neuroleptic? Yeah. Um, so you neuro know? is just, you know, neuron, the, um, right. the parts of the brain, the basic cells of the brain. And then, you know, leptic is, I think, a leftover from, you know, the whole idea of epilepsy, of there being just that idea of there's being some kind of a flaw in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know a lot more about like the etymology of the word than that. We, we you know what? That's an opportunity to do some research. Yeah. Laura, you've, mm -hmm. you've given us insight. <laughs> you yeah, know? I can nerd out on the Latin and the Greek if you want. No, no, no. It's great. See, this is a, see, this is the thing about having really smart people like these folks, Rebecca and Amy. Like they're super smart. So like, they're gonna analyze everything. If even if I say the word is, they're gonna break down the meaning of is, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> not to awesome. sound like Bill Clinton, but you know, like. But I mean, like, uh, 
that actually like that word, it's kind of an interesting point because like, you know, not only do different, you know, disorders get mistaken for each other all the time, but like both schizophrenia and bipolar have a particular relationship to epilepsy. Like a lot of those, including ADHD, they tend to have common genetic factors where if one disorder shows up in a family, the other is more likely to. And there are forms of epilepsy that actually mimic both bipolar disorder and schizophrenia very, very closely. I mean, wow. we knew that because yeah. Lamictal is uh-huh. an, an, epilepsy. an epilepsy drug. Yeah. Right. That's so, yeah, so the um, anticonvulsants, the epilepsy drugs, sometimes work for bipolar even when epilepsy isn't there. But then there's these forms of like temporal lobe epilepsy that, you know, look so much like a manic episode. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I was I was shocked. You know, when 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 Rebecca had her first doctor, uh, he was I mean, Doctor Agnewici. He was just amazing. He was State Department. He mm-hmm. uh, worked for one of the top medical centers in here in the the DMV. But like, honestly, when he decided to prescribe Lamictal, and we looked it up, we were like, "What anti epilepsy mm-hmm. drug? Like, this is crazy!" But yet, it works so much better mm-hmm. because her system is so sensitive. Uh-huh. Um, to, to, you know, to medication. I mean, we're still going through it right now, mm-hmm. but just trying to manage her comorbidities. I mean, just like the yeah. OCD and the, uh, and, and ADHD, ADHD, you know? So uh, Laura, does your husband have any, okay, well, I, I don't want to go that far ahead. So, all right. So you're right now, I want to slow down. Cause I really want to enjoy this moment because I don't get to talk to many spouses who are caretakers. So Mm-mm. you're in the middle of this right now. Was there any moment where you were like, look, I'm ready to pack and leave. I did. You actually left. I did. Oh, well, see, I wanted to, but I was like, no, I, I can't. Well, to to Stephen's credit, we had a newborn. Oh man, that would have complicated things for sure. We did not have children yet. Um, I was let me think. I was in grad school, and he he was not in school yet. Um, so yeah, I was in grad school, and um, no, but the reason I was still madly in love with him when I left, madly in love with him. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, is he was a disaster. He was depressed now. <laughs> shocking right? right he just went through this he's over medicated now he's sitting in our apartment no job not paying rent not contributing anything not in my mind trying to get better because he's over medicated he's not seeing his psych and people in the support groups convinced me i was enabling him which was honestly a very good thing to convince me of because if you could convince me staying was actually enabling his downfall his spiral into <laughs> depression that was enough to make me strong enough to bounce. But mm-hmm. I wanted to say, like, I still loved him. We were nine months married. I mean, we're newlyweds. And when I say I was madly in love with him, I'm not exaggerating. And so I remember I made the decision, but it was kind of made for me because I was going out to a nightclub with my sister and he I had to get my license in our apartment and he stopped me and he's never been physically violent, but he did hold my wrist to keep me in the apartment just to talk to him. And I of course struggled to get out of his, um, you know, like holding me. And in the process, he, I was, uh, my sister or someone, somehow the cops got called and I was just going to leave. And I was like, you know, like whatever, we're going out to the club. It's fine. I got my license. And my sister's like, you can't leave. Cause then it's false reporting. So they came Unfortunately, there were like little red, 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 not unfortunately, I think it was the catalyst, honestly, that helped everything. 
And um, there were rug burn marks on my wrist. So the cops charged him. And then he got anger management classes. I moved out. I did something called a legal separation through a lawyer Mm -hmm. where I didn't get divorced. But he couldn't, like, take me down with manic spending or anything like that, right? Everything got separated. And then I worked with my therapist to – I talked to him every day. And he's like, I feel like you don't love me, blah, blah, blah. And then I talked to my therapist and realized, like, learned how to have these conversations like, I'm sorry you feel that way and I do love you, but I wasn't helping you by staying, you know, and like you have to take responsibility for this yourself. Just all the things, you know, like coached and counseled through a therapist. Mm -hmm. And within three months, I was back with him. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then from there, I've never had to do that again because we both got tools. Like he got tools Mm -hmm. through anger management classes, which is therapy. I mean, let's be honest. So Mm -hmm. he got tools through that. Um, Because we both just had very, oh, what I was going to tell you at the beginning, asking your age is, have you ever seen the movie Mad Love with Drew Barrymore? (laughs) If you haven't, no big deal. But she's like, I felt like our relationship was that. We were just mad love. Like when we were passionate, we were the most incredibly passionate human beings that loved each other on the face of the planet. And conversely, when we were mad at each other, we were as passionately angry at each other. Um, but the opposite of love is not anger. It's apathy. And definitely we were never apathetic toward each other. So, Hmm. Anywho, that's what happened. 1995. Huh? I'll have to look at that. Drew Barrymore. I I actually (laughs) think she's pretty cool. Um, you know, even though she's not college educated, but you know, I'm not going to be elitist about it. Um, so Dr. D, what do you say about that? I mean, they're, they were in a very sticky situation Mm -hmm. that could have absolutely gone the other way. And I know that you, you know, have written your book, um, and perhaps this is an opportunity to kind of just talk about strategies, you know, uh, you know, that one could use, um, in order to to deal with this from understanding bipolar, the essential family guide, mm-hmm. you know, what tools would you have advised for Laura, you know, or someone in Laura's position to sort of get through this moment? I mean, it sounds like she really did have a good therapist who could kind of guide her through it. But like, I think one of the most important things that I got out of what Laura was saying was knowing the difference between, you know, loving somebody and enabling them. And that sometimes loving them means, you know, holding them responsible for their own behavior. And that's a very delicate, delicate situation when somebody has a mental illness, because you know there's a whole level on which they're not really responsible for the behaviors themselves. But, you know, they got stuck with this illness where they are responsible for making the decisions that will help them get better. And that's a whole journey that somebody sometimes needs time to take. So I feel like Laura had to... um, you know, learn to set those boundaries of, you know, what she would and would not tolerate Mm -hmm. in a way that kind of kept moving the relationship and his recovery forward. So, you know, indulging everything with just excuses, it's a mental illness, they don't mean it, sometimes isn't helpful because it doesn't help them through that process of, you know, kind of holding a, a dual idea that they have to hold. I am not responsible for having a mental illness. It is not a flaw in me, like Rebecca was saying early, but at the same time, I'm stuck with this situation. And whether it's fair or not, I do have the responsibility for kind of grabbing the wheel here. 
But, you know, I can say as a spouse, it is terribly frustrating when, yes. like, like the last year when we were going through the medication switch mm -hmm. and there was just, I mean, it was almost a throwback to the beginning uh -huh. before we even knew. It was so effing frustrating. Like I can yes. remember there were times that I was just looking at my suitcase and bags, mm -hmm. like I will live in my damn car. Like, and I felt that No, way. no, no. He uh -huh. kept saying he's going to go live with his mother. That's true. And I go that wouldn't last more no, than like that, two hours. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So in yeah. my obnoxious bipolar self, I was like, go for it. You yeah. be back by dinner. Yeah. She actually told me that. She always told me that. Like when she was really in a state, she was like, go, you'll be back by dinner. Go on and go. <laughs> and I was just like, and I wanted to be like, F you. But like, I knew that would set off a whole nother chain of things. So I just said, all right, fine. I'll just sit down for a second and cool down. But, you know, that's that's just it. Like, it is a, I mean, you've got to love someone. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't even know if it's about love. You have, you've got to have the tools. Because there right. are times when I'm just like, I've done everything you wanted me to do, honey. You told me to do when you were in crisis. And even when I do that, that's still not good enough. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? How do I get through this? So I think, too, I have no idea. I mean, maybe Dr. Amy can um, uh, can speak to this. Yeah. But for me, it's different. I, I can't be a caregiver to someone who's physically stronger than me and seems mm -hmm. to be going a bad path. So that's why my right. therapist is like, no, you got to go. Like you, mm -hmm. that only escalates. And I remember like when I did move back in with my mom, like literally falling into her body and just being like the hardest thing to do was not to leave mm -hmm. or was not to stay. It was mm -hmm. to leave. Like right. the easiest right. thing to do was to stay. That was the easiest. I'm going to help him. I'm going to help him through this. We're going to, we're going to do it together. You're but a fixer. You're a fixer mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. Like, like he had to take ownership. And, and the thing was, even if he let me fix it, I would have had he given me power of attorney, I would have mm -hmm. done it, but he mm -hmm. wanted nothing to do with me helping him. He wow. called his mom. I don't need another mom. Get out of my business. Don't ask me if I took my meds. Like I would have helped, but that wasn't helping either. So there was literally, it was either, and luck, I don't know if this is fortunate or not, but I'm the baby of my family. I mm -hmm. have a sister who's 10 years older and a brother who's eight. Mm -hmm. And my sister was married to a narcissist. And by the time she got out, she hated that man. Mm -hmm. She, she mm -hmm. literally, viscerally to this day, hates him with every fiber of her being. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I never want to hate Cody. So mm -hmm. even if we can't be together... I have to go before I get to that level of resentment that I physically hate someone for the rest of my life. Like I can't do, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a lot of energy, right? That like, is too much negative energy. That right. is, no, no, it's not, not good. Oh. So Cody did the typical mental health thing. Mm -hmm. he, he would not take his medication. No, he always took it. But like if he forgot or, you know, like I was getting all kinds of advice, like people in the NAMI support group was like, oh, he can never smoke weed again. He can Aww. never drink alcohol again. Don't ever let him do any of that or leave. And I had to navigate all of that and navigate what my boundaries were, because those yeah. might have been other people's boundaries. And that's fine. Um, but those boundaries didn't resonate with me because as a human being, I don't believe in all or nothings. I don't believe in absolutes mm -hmm. and I don't believe in leaving someone because they weren't perfect. So mm -hmm. that didn't resonate with me, but I didn't know what did resonate with me. So I had to like navigate figuring that all out. So 
how how did you do that? I mean, you obviously went back. You guys have been married for a long time. Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, basically what I said, you know, he didn't want me involved as like a caretaker, honestly. Um, and I said, well, I can't come back then unless you show me that you can take care of yourself. You have to show me then. Mm -hmm. that you can do it. You have to show me that you can pay your half of the rent. You have to show me you can go get a job and keep it. You have to show me you're going to go see your psych. And, you know, if you're doing weed still or whatever, I'm willing to accept it. But you have to show me first that you can take care of yourself then. And he did. So it sounds like in his own way, he was trying to preserve your love by not letting you into another role. Like he he let other people do that stuff. Yeah. No, no, even to this day, like, mm -hmm. he still doesn't want me, he'll still say, like, actually, he he hasn't been sleeping recently, thank God he's not, like, he's not in acute, so no one panic, Mm -hmm. but um, Mm -hmm. it hasn't been the sleep that he and I know that he needs, and Mm -hmm. um, I, what did I ask him? Oh, he has a watch, so I wanted to see what his hours were, and it was like, I don't need a mom, like, it literally is, like, Mm -hmm. an immediate, like, nope, (laughs) arm's length, get away from me, this is my boundary, don't mother Mm -hmm. me. That's interesting because if I try to keep that distance from my wife, like it just is unacceptable. She's just like, what? You're not going to sit here and listen to me or you're not going to check in on me. It's like, it, <laughs> but, but it's you, opposite. you jumped in that role. I needed you in that role. Yeah. Like when I got diagnosed, I fell apart and I needed you in that role. That's true. Mm-hmm. So our stories are completely opposite because like, Steven went to every appointment with me and, and no, Steven Cody was there. Yeah. yeah. And he was there through all of the medication changes. Now at this point in time, he doesn't come to my appointments anymore because I have enough confidence and self-esteem now to do it on my own. And I feel capable of it. But at the beginning, like you were the caregiver, you were in well, that role. It was part because of the experience that I went through. I was insecure about whether or not you were going to truthfully articulate what was going on. Yeah. Cause I still don't. Because you still under, you <laughs> downplay what is going on. Like you could be a hot mess right now and in pain bleeding and you would still tell someone, yeah, I don't know. It's a little scratch. You know, like, you know, it's, it's always downplaying the severity of the actual situation. And I like the black knight on Monty Python. It's a bit of flesh wound. Yeah. It's it's a flesh flesh wound. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And, you know, and and in the beginning, I wanted to make sure she had the best care Mm -hmm. um, because we had just come through the military and those majors in the military were complete Mm a-holes. They told her she was faking when they gave her Zoloft and she started shaking just to get out of going to war. And I was like, that's absurd. This is a woman (laughs) who wanted to be here. Like, you know. And, you know, and, and so, you know, literally I wanted to make sure I helped her articulate to the doctor and thank God we had some really like good, we had a good one. Um, but we had a lot of good ones. We, we had a lot up. of good ones. We, we did luck up. I'd say we were blessed, but like, honestly, I think now, now is what, I mean, that is just me feeling like, okay, you are an individual who is empowered. I mean, you have your own life and you have, I mean, we have a life together, but you know, you, you, you can guide this part of your life now Mm -hmm. and and read me in when it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that he didn't, he doesn't want you in that role at all. Not at all. Not to this day. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That Mm -hmm. is interesting. That's fat. Have you asked him why? Like what, have you gotten to the bottom? He doesn't need a mother. Yep. (laughs) 
but <laughs> she's that he doesn't I know, need a mother. But that's what he said. But like, <laughs> like you know, there's also what people say, and there's also like a story behind it. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, I mean, what is what is the psychology? What is the pathology behind? You, you know, you not wanting your spouse to really step into that support role. You know, I can't, I could theorize about it all day. If I had a gut feeling, it's the way we both grew up. So the reason that we both are gravitated to each other and understand each other is that even though I grew up Catholic and he grew up Mormon and neither one of us will have anything to do with said religion, we both <laughs> still <laughs> we both still had the same values. We wanted to be married till we were old. We wanted to have that love story. We wanted to have children and a family. We wanted to, um, and unfortunately embedded in those religions is a patriarchal, the man takes care of the woman. And so if I were to theorize, which I shouldn't, but if I were to theorize, that's why. You know, that's you know that's funny because I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up very like Christian, and it's funny because Rebecca didn't. And but when we first got married, you know, we did try to live in a traditional patriarchal construct in terms of how we lived our lives, and it just didn't work. Same, <laughs> we did too, and it didn't yeah. work. We're so much happier now. Like I love yeah, working, exactly. he loves cooking. Like yeah, exactly, bro. Like I hate cooking. Do yeah. it all. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Wait, Rebecca didn't put up with that patriarchal crap? Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Shocker. You know, it just didn't work. She was not the typical mold of the person at the church, you know? (laughs) It's very funny because not very often, but sometimes, especially for big holidays and parties, we get invited to um, his, Stephen's uncle's church functions. And they are very traditional and very patriarchal and like the men eat first and the women make their plates and, you, and it's, it's always been weird to me, but like, is one of those, okay, I'm in this situation and, and this is what the, the role is in this situation. And so I'll sit there and I'll tell Steven, I'm like, okay, well, I'll go make your plate. And he's like, sit, sit the hell down. Like, we don't, we don't do that. Like mm-hmm. I'm not broken. And you can, you need to feed the kids. Like I, I'm perfectly capable of getting my own plate. And what's funny about it is it's like, that works for us. But then the rest of the room is looking at me like, you didn't serve your man. Right. And I, I'm just like, look, oh I don't need a servant. Like, you know, <laughs> like I just don't, I need a partner. Like I don't need a servant. Like, you know, I tried marrying, a, uh, <laughs> I tried marrying someone who was traditional that way. And I ended up just running all over them emotionally. So it was just like, and they weren't strong enough for me. You were bored. I was bored as hell. Like, you know, like at least with bipolar, like I get a different Rebecca every two or three years. Like <laughs> it's absolutely great. No, I, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's no, but I mean, it's it's been a long journey and we've made it here. Like people look at us now and it's like, okay, well, she's an Ivy League graduate. She's, you know, working for the government government but like we didn't that wasn't always the case mm-hmm. you know we we had to work through that journey we had mm-hmm. to we had to go through it and it was a level of stick that's the word i like to use a lot um that 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 kind of got us there so mm-hmm. did you end up having kids laura yeah we have two kids okay ages you don't have to tell names but ages 12 and 9 oh, oh. 
Yeah. Ours are 16 and 11. Yeah, because we were happy with the, I was happy with the first one, and <laughs> she wanted a second one. And my buddy says, every woman knows her number. And I, and I thought back, and that's true, because she's always said she wanted two. two. I honestly just wanted one. But you know, you're it, an only child. But I wanted one or five. <laughs> I think that's how it went. I wanted one yeah, you or wanted, five. You wanted a little bit or a lot of it. The reality is, is if I couldn't have frosés and mimosas and brunch... And if it came down between that and five kids, I would just have one. Because in that way, I would still have my frosés and my brunch. Because that's what is important to me. So, that sorry. That was actually, like, a really hard um, part of our marriage is because my family, once he got diagnosed, was like, oh, thank God. Now you know not to never have kids with that man. <gasps> See, and that was going to be my next question because – Typically, we interview a lot of women um, because men have, find it hard to talk about mental illness, I think. And so with a lot of women who have bipolar, there is a fear of having children. Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. Cody have that same kind of fear, like, I'm going to pass this on? So actually, no, um, we had that came out of nowhere. That was the most hurtful thing people could have ever said. Like, that yeah. didn't play a factor into me at all. Like, like literally at all. I never even thought of it. I never even considered that him having bipolar would meant we wouldn't continue with our dreams and our life and what we planned when we got married. And so for my parents to say that, like in my family to say that, it was shocking and then devastating. Um, and I made the mistake of telling him and I don't know if I should have or not, you know, and that was extremely hurtful to him. That took, mm-hmm. a, and my parents aren't going to apologize. They're, they're those boomers. Like they're not gonna, that's not something that was bad. That's just a fact. Why would you want to pass that on to your kids? Like they just will never, you know, so he had to like accept that about them. It just was pretty awful. And I bet he has not forgotten it yet. Oh either. no. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> Amy, how do we cope with that? How do we cope with that? Yeah, how do we cope with eugenics? Like people who believe in eugenics. <laughs> I, I okay, still have okay. to figure that one out for I'm, myself. Look, I'm just like, no. I'm gonna tell you right now, we are not talking about any top secret stuff. Right. Don't talk about because I am not gonna have men in black coats and black suits showing up at my door. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead, Amy. Honestly, if it's Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, they can show up because that'd be cool. <laughs> You know, those men oh, in black. But, um, that's true. That'd be a party. That's true. But yeah. seriously, you just, that's a boundary that has to be negotiated. Like sometimes those are people that have to just, you know, not be in your life. But other times you can have, you know, a limited relationship. If you're close to them, otherwise it might end up being like, okay, we're going to stay like that. And we're just not going to talk about that. Like yeah. they don't get to talk to us about it. I don't think there's like one rule you can give. This is exactly how you handle that, except, you know, figure out for yourself what your boundaries are around it. How much of a relationship can you have with them, if any? Mm-hmm. And then I, honestly, like, it's kind of a, you know, rolling roll of the dice because a lot of people, like, the second they see their actual grandchild, their whole exactly. attitude changes. Then it all changed. 100%. But not always. It's not promised. Mm, it did in our case, but yeah. I've always loved you. Oh, you've <laughs> Laura, you've made such a fine choice. <laughs> so, so we've heard a lot about how your parents took it. How did Cody's Mormon family take it? 
So interestingly mm. enough, it's a good thing they're Mormon because bipolar is definitely in the genetic line on both sides. And mm. I only say Mormon because they don't they have a propensity not to use drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so it, which obviously can impact, you know, like, Treatment. yeah, exactly. So um, no, when he was, when he actually was a teenager, his like 18, and he was really acting out his he had a really, really close relationship with his paternal grandmother. That's what caused his first episode was her death. So, you know, after she died, that's what that was the trigger. But he was very, very close to her. And she had bipolar disorder. And she was the funny granny. She was the prankster and the jokester. And mm -hmm. she played tricks on everybody. And um, his grandma and grandpa were married to her death. I mean, they were married over 50 years. Um, and that was one of his favorite people on earth. Um, and so he knew that about her. And then his um, maternal grandfather, when he got diagnosed, called him and said, whatever they said you have, you got that from me. And I'm sorry. And he adored that man. Like that mm -hmm. was his handyman grandfather. Mm -hmm. He hung out with him, learned all the tricks. So I would say that for the most part, they took it way better. <laughs> they all mm -hmm. were like way better with it. And so Cody got to see some images of people with bipolar that he loved, that he respected, that he could have fun with. Yes. And maybe yes. get a broader view of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was able to see like these people got through it and they mm -hmm. functioned and they were still lovable and mm -hmm. like they had a family and yeah. the world didn't end. Right. Yes. Both of his grandparents were together to, through death. I mean, married over 50 years. So that was both sides of his grandparents. And then mm -hmm. through the line, there was that bipolar. And unfortunately, the, it hasn't been as kind to a lot of the grandchildren. Cody's probably the only success story at the moment out of all the grandkids that have it. But mm -hmm. so far. So far. Yeah, exactly. You know, Everyone has a chance to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, that's so is, is Cody originally from Utah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's cool that's cool you know i i dig mittens you know i dig his senator so it's all good i dig senator mittens he's pretty awesome you know he was in my other favorite place massachusetts for a while you know it's cool. cool um so you know i guess in terms of you know what is it like now like okay here's one thing that i you know still struggle with so everything is great right? Everything is smooth. We're riding along. And then all of a sudden there's a left turn. And then one day, what was a joke is no longer a joke. <laughs> and then you have to now work through that. Do you find, is, is that your experience with your spout, bipolar spouse? Actually, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And that's how I know actually that we might be headed toward an episode. Cause I'm like, Oh, all of a sudden this isn't funny. You know, you don't find this funny. And he hates it when I say that. Cause then I'm being his mom and I'm not a psychiatrist. That's the other thing I get. I do the same thing to Steven. Like when he gets real doctory on me, I'm like, Oh, where did you go to med school? <laughs> she said, Oh, well, Dr. Steven says I'm like, like, you know what, damn it, I've been around this long enough. Yes, call me Dr. Steven. You know what? You're having a bad day. So on the on the subject, you made a TikTok that kind of resonated with me in where you said that you have to figure out if you're having a bipolar conversation with yeah. your husband. Yeah. And that there is a 
a stark difference between having a conversation and then having a conversation with bipolar. Yep. We need to post that, by the way, on the, the mm-hmm. on Twitter mm-hmm. and then social in Alexi not this, next week. Yeah. 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 Well, go ahead. I'm so sorry, Laura. Can you can you explain that a little bit more in detail? What you mean by that? So I learned this concept through this book I read um, by Julie Fast called Loving Someone's Bipolar Disorder. And in it, she was talking about exactly this thing called the bipolar conversation. So it's nothing I termed. That was her term. And um, I resonated with that because basically it was, I don't know if you feel this way, Rebecca, but Cody definitely feels like we call him that guy. Like, it just isn't Cody. Like, something hijacks him. And yes, it's Cody's body. And yes, it's Cody's brain. And unfortunately, he remembers everything that th- that that guy did. But, like, it's he's not in control. He's not driving the train. Like, and, and who's driving the train? It's so weird. And who's driving the train is the bipolar conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, bipolar, like, the, the bipolar conversation, that guy, as Cody calls him, would never, ever, ever call me an idiot. But when Cody's manic, all of a sudden, guess who I am? I'm an idiot. idiot. I'm stupid. And he never says that to me. That's the thing. And that's why I feel so bad. I want this TikTok because people, what if you just met someone and you don't know? Like, what if I just met him and three weeks later we had a fight and then that's how he acts when that really isn't him? I Mm -hmm. was fortunate enough to know the real him for a very long time, even though he was, yes, up and down and obviously still bipolar. He just wasn't that acute stage yet or had reached that acute stage. But Like, what if you didn't know? Like, I do know. I do know that now. So, I mean, it's really easy for me to identify now after 20 years. (laughs) Um, But God bless you. I I swear, God bless you. Like, you are such Mm -hmm. an inspiration to my heart right now, just listening to the way you talk. Because I can tell you've informed yourself. And, like, you literally are motivating me to like to do to do even more. Oh, that's a lot. Because you're a a lot. Well, I, you know what? Because you always look at other people and you're like, wow, you know what? I really am impressed by you. I'm not impressed by people much, but I really am impressed by, you know, your level of just energy in, as it pertains to the care that you're giving or at least, you know, allowing to happen within your ecosystem. I mean, it's amazing. Well, I guess what makes me sad is that all these people with bipolar comment, I didn't think actually people with bipolar would take well to my TikTok, which has been a nice surprise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought they would be like, oh, you neurotypical asshole. Think you know it all (laughs) speaking for our ass. Like I really thought that's how it was going to go down (laughs) (laughs) to do that, to help, um, to help. But instead I got greeted with all this love from bipolar TikTok, from Mm -hmm. people with bipolar who are suffering, who don't believe they're worthy of a partner who don't believe Mm -hmm. they're worthy of love who don't Mm -hmm. believe they're worthy of a life and it is heartbreaking and every time someone comments that I want to be like you are worthy your bipolar does not diminish who you are Mm. and I am so sorry society made you feel that way you are absolutely deserved like it breaks my heart and that's probably what has increased my passion is seeing these comments and they break my heart yeah I mean Mm -hmm. it's a typical thing that you see in like bipolar groups Um, is that you have those who are single who have always struggled in relationships and they're like, you know, I'm not going to find that person. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something that really, you know, like you, it like really gets me fired up. And it's like, you absolutely can, Mm -hmm. like you 
absolutely can have a healthy relationship and you can have kids and you can go to school and you can be successful. Like it is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a death sentence. And not to mention like what I hate is that what they don't, then, then what happens is they don't see their value and they don't see how amazing they are. You know, mm-hmm. like he is so much more than, like I said, like I, when I started, when we started this podcast, what did I say? I said, he, to this day, is the most fun guy I've ever been around in my life. He's larger than life. Yeah, um, he's the best. Can, can we just pause there? You just used the word funner. I only knew my <laughs> wife. Sorry. I only knew my wife. Too. You know, God, you're part of the family. Are you coming to visit? <laughs> you and Cody, pack those darn kids up and come on out here to the East Coast. You know? She teases me and says that I'm from the backwoods because I say stuff like She funner. just country. <laughs> not, not the backwoods. She just country. She can't help it. The fact that you use funner, there's a little country girl in there somewhere. See, it's Colorado. That's what it is. It's Colorado. Is that what it is? That is exactly what it is. We know what we're going to Chicago to see Amy. You're more than happy to come too. Uh, uh, Amy, yes. what what do you say about all this? I mean, you know, all this craziness, but fun. Because we're we're having fun now, right? Right. Like we 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 make it sound like it's fun, but this shit, excuse me, this stuff is not easy on a day-to-day basis i mean no, that I, fun was hard earned and i think That's back true. to the whole bipolar conversation i i mean you and i have that ours is more of the bipolar argument um because i have a hard time with with understanding the emotions that i'm feeling and part of that is the bipolar and part of that is just the way i was raised like we just didn't talk about emotions mm-hmm. so, like i never had the words to put with my emotion So there is a moment in an argument where I know that this is the bipolar. There is a a moment. There is like a a switch that flips. And I know that this is my bipolar. I don't know if Steven can tell. But at that point, I know. But we're well past me being able to stop. I'll give you a great example. Yeah, that's the thing. Cody can't stop. He can't disengage. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then I disengage. Like that's mm-hmm. that's definitely what I learned. Like once you realize that you're in a bipolar conversation, you disengage. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times we have gone to bed angry. I can't believe that advice is still out there. Don't go to okay. bed angry. Yeah, that's bullshit. What? Excuse me. Yeah, Sorry, like, I don't mean to curse, but like, yeah, go to bed angry. Like, go just, to bed angry, and then yeah. both of us wake up, and he'll realize that we were in a bipolar conversation. A hundred. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. gonna say. I was gonna say. Like, I mean, honestly. Like, I can tell you just just the other day, like, okay, so we will joke with one another, like, oh, my God, you won't cuddle with me. Or, oh, my God, you don't want anything to do with me. So, yeah, you're always, why are you so far away? You're on the side of the bed. And we'll joke and we'll <laughs> laugh and we'll tease each other. But the moment I know that it's getting real is when I do make a joke and then it becomes like, you're just trying to control me. Yeah, it's not funny. It's not funny. You yeah. can't do that. And I'm like, I'm sitting there looking at myself in the mirror, like, okay, hold on, let me make sure I am who I am because she's making me sound like I am a complete like you know fair faucet like husband from burning bed or whatever that movie was from the 80s like I am not that person and it's just like and that's when I realized okay honey you know what I'm sorry I upset you today and I won't play like that right now because I realize you're not in that space yeah you disengage Mm -hmm. with it and then and then after she gets mad at me for being rational then she'll get upset and cry and then it's like i'm not having a good day yeah no it's at that point that it's like okay something's wrong yeah Mm -hmm. 
I'm sorry, Amy. But but it is it's <laughs> it's very true. Like what you said, like Cody cannot disengage. When I get to that point, it is the point of no return. Yeah. Like we are gonna argue and we are gonna do this until I exhaust myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, a hundred percent. And then unless I disengage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is hard because I'm a right fighter. I like to be right. I like to be smart. Mm-hmm. I like to be the one that wins. <laughs> I just want peace and happiness. <laughs> I'm a hippie. I'm just a barefoot hippie. I, you know, oh, I like. I want peace. I piece want piece peace and happiness. <laughs> so, Libra, what's your? Yeah. I'm a Leo. I'm a Leo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio, so it's a little rough with me. <laughs> so, in my household, my brother is also bipolar. And we grew up that way without knowing that we were bipolar. And on top of both of us being bipolar, we both have to be right. And we both have to have the last word. (laughs) So when we would get into it, it lasted forever. forever. (laughs) I mean, it had to be exhausting to be our parents. (laughs) That is funny. Oh, my God. It's just because that was our relationship in the beginning. Like, yeah, like I had to, we both, we both have to be right. It's it's rough when that's your personality. <laughs> well, and the thing is, and that is exactly why I have to keep my wife away from it for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel bad because I feel like one of those controlling husbands who are like, oh, you can't see your family. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm protecting my sanity all at the mm-hmm. same time. <laughs> yep. Like, I am sorry. I don't mean to be mean. But then like, I even, you know. I thought about this the other day. I'm like, you know what? Why don't you go on out there and like hang out with them for a couple nope. of days? You know, but let's buy a two day ticket so you can come back home because <laughs> I know you'll be back home. You know. <laughs> anyway, we've thrown a lot at you, Amy, and um, you know, how do you assess all of this? What do you make sense of all of this? And give advice to others who are care caregiving. Honestly, it's just a rough road. I think one of the most important things to take away from this. You know, like all of you mentioned a few minutes ago, this gets better. It's a long road. It's a hard road. There's a lot of heartbreak and arguments and just really wild discussions that you did not see coming. But you also get to have this, you know, there, you know, if you stay the course, there will be, you know, the laughter and the fun and the romance and the everything else. And the point where you can, you can even joke about all this when you're ready to. Right. Just like as one of the biggest things I see with both caregivers and clients with bipolar is that conviction. This is not getting better. This is my life now. Mm. And one of the most yeah. important things they can learn, they can learn is like, that's not true necessarily. That's not and how that's it always plays out. My that's exactly. I wanted people to see that it's not hopeless. You don't need to get this diagnosis and have both people be like, well, if our life is over, it's always going to suck and be hard. Like, right. I, it's not like it's like legit not. It's legit not. And I wanted people to see that and and even give them a glimmer of hope, because like for some reason, Amy, speak to this. Actually, I would love yeah. for you to answer this question. Why do when you Google divorce rates or marriage rates of bipolar nine it's like a 95 percent divorce rate but it's not from a credible source but it's number one hit in google so everyone assumes 95 percent of people who have a person with bipolar disorder end in divorce like do we ha- i tried searching you know scholar and things like that pubmed i don't know any statistics on bipolar marriage success rates are they out there not that i know of i mean i did the same yeah. um, look up Yeah. Yeah, they're not. And so people get that one Google search and they're like, well, it's over. Why would I even try? I know this one couple with bipolar and they got divorced. So bipolar people just get divorced. 
kind of thing. Yep, exactly. Well, or that I, I Googled it and yeah. 95% of marriages uh-huh. ended divorce. So yeah. this is too hard. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah. But then the, the other thing, you know, especially with what you were talking about with Cody being like the most fun person you have ever met, um, you know, there is a whole person in there aside from them being bipolar. And sometimes it takes a while for that person to come back out, but they're there and they have all the talents and the personality traits and the likes and the dislikes and the interests and the, the mind. Yeah, and bipolar, can, and bipolar can trap that for a while, but it's going to get back out when they find a way to get stable. And there's going to be this whole other entire person aside from the disease that they happen to have. Yeah, I love that because that's what I was going to say too. Like um, you mentioned uh, that Rebecca is so smart. Like same mm-hmm. with Cody, like he's an yeah. engineer. He's a freaking engineer. He got medicated and became an engineer. Yeah, I'm a, I have a master's degree. I'm a speech language pathologist, which is funny mm-hmm. that I- so don't hold it against me. I know that's wrong. But um, he has a math, like he has a bachelor degree. He's an engineer. He's super smart. He's obviously very fun. He's, he's, he's so much more. And, and it is always that fear. Like, is he going to come back? I mean, one time he was in a nine month depression um, and I was like, Oh my God, like, where did he go? Am I? And that too, like, are they going to come back from mania? Are they uh-huh. going to come back for depression? But they can and will, and they do. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's worth it. I just, that's what I want my message to be is that, mm-hmm. and I tell him that all the time. You like, you're worth it. And he's always like, I hope so. But he is, he a hundred percent is. I think one of the things that I always, I always try to remember, especially when I get into depression, because I'm bipolar too. So we, we have longer depression than we do mm-hmm. mania. Mm-hmm. And I always have to tell myself, you know, like it is, it is secular, right? Like yeah. we, we will go back up because that's just mm-hmm. the, the illness. Like you go up and down. So you're not going to stay in this level forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you will change. It will switch. It might mm-hmm. be months, but you will switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And partners yeah. need to know that too, because otherwise it'd be, I mean, Literally, like when Cody's even in mania, four weeks feels like four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sleeping either. I'm awake with anxiety. Every time he's up cooking bacon at 3 a.m., I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, like, and it does tend to feel very long, but it's actually not, you know? So if you can keep that perspective in mind and keep mm-hmm. that perspective of, yes, it's Cyclical, ba- circular, ba- whatever, cyclical. C- cyclical. Bacon yeah. at 3 a.m. doesn't sound bad, though, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't see the problem there. Yeah, there could be I mean, worse things to do at you 3 a.m. It was so funny when I caught Rebecca scrubbing the tiles with a toothbrush when we were first married. <laughs> and I told her mother that. She goes, well, at least you're just going to have a clean bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, she... <laughs> My mom's so understanding. Like, Stephen's looking at her and being like, she's crazy. Like, you don't understand. She's cleaning the tile with toothbrushes on yeah. hands and knees, and she never thinks that it's clean enough. And my mother goes, well, let her clean then. Like, she's not hurting anything. Eventually, Just let her clean. She'll wear herself, wear herself out. out. But that's a problem. She never did. <laughs> that, that, was her, that was her solution. Like, she'll just get tired. It'll be okay. <sighs> Lord, I we, how far we've come in the 17 <laughs> years. I swear. Um, we've all, it's been a journey. And uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't change it, you know, you know, but it has been a journey. Um, and with that said, you know, um, Amy, why don't you um, 
give us some words of wisdom as spouses taking care of our loved ones with mental health uh, sort of right now as we wrap up. It is legit exhausting, but mm-hmm. there's also an entire community out there of people who understand that. You know, might you might mm-hmm. find your tribe on TikTok or at NAMI or at the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance or on some other corner of social media or a real life support group, group, but definitely try and get yourself some community of people who are experiencing the same thing that you are so that you can bounce ideas off of people. You can learn from the more experienced ones or just, you know, hear these stories that reflect your experience. Even if the only time you can spare is, you know, a few minutes to check Twitter every once in a while, but you Mm -hmm. get to see that other people understand what's going on with you. And yeah, just what we were saying a few minutes ago, you know, things will get better. Things will get easier. That person's coming back. You just have to hold on a little while longer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, Mm -hmm. honestly, it's nothing like super brilliant, but just that reality that, you know, things are cyclical. They will come back and you need a community around you that gets you. (laughs) (laughs) Giving you clapping hands. You know, Professor, you know, I think those are wise words, you know, and it's true because, you know, it always changes. The mm-hmm. sun always comes out after a cloudy day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is kind of trite. You know, as an English major, I probably could have mm-hmm. come up with something better than that. But you know what? Look, the sun always comes out after a cloudy day. And I have to remember that. And I think, Laura, you have to remember that. Everyone has to remember that as we are caregiving. And, mm-hmm. but then we also have to remember, we have to allow space to self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because if we don't, we won't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And so thank you for those wise words. Laura, do you want to give every, we'll drop your, your TikTok location, if that's what you're, you're, you're primarily into, um, into the show so people can get to you. But why don't you tell us how. Um, you know, folks can reach you to kind of collaborate or connect with you. Yeah. Do you have any other social media or do you just, is it just TikTok? I have it. I have, so I'm the BP spouse on TikTok and I also have an Instagram. I'm just not as active on Instagram, but I'm there. Like I'll answer your questions if mm-hmm. that's, you know, your preferred route. But um, yeah, for the most part, uh, we, I, or I, well, it's we, cause I feel like Cody is in it with me, even though it doesn't, I do most of the the face but um we're mostly on tiktok yeah okay so what is so what is the instagram bp spouse bp spouse the the bp spouse yeah the bp there we go i'm gonna i'm gonna follow you too (laughs) interesting enough that picture that you see pop up is us i got to meet his beloved granny um who Mm -hmm. and that's us when we first met at her house oh wow yeah is that the prankster (laughs) granny yep fun (laughs) You know, what's funny is that I, um, for some reason, have always been gravitated toward people who have bipolar without knowing it. So I obviously married one, but my best friend in high school also had had it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like bipolar people, like I feel like, St- like Stephen, right? That's what you said your name was? Yep. Yeah, oh, Stephen, when yes. you said that like other people are boring, they are. 
Like I, I tell Cody all the time, like I have no idea what you find interesting. Me. <laughs> like, I'm so freaking boring. Like you are so fun and you're impulsive and you're exciting and I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> and, so um, are you the BP spouse with the K? Yes, uh, that's her. Oh, that's yes. her. Okay. And you say Cody is uh, exciting. I want to talk to Cody. I want to know what is all this <laughs> he's excitement. He's a good time. He's a good yeah. time. He would have been on it if uh, he, he's just out in the living room chilling with my kids. Yeah. You know, I, I want to know about all that excitement. Maybe some things we can't even talk about on the show. But... Yeah. yeah. No, I'm kidding. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on here. I know I was just like some random person who messaged you on TikTok. Yeah, I was so. so excited to do it. Thank you so much for having me. Super grateful. We're so excited because, you know, this show has definitely, you know, expanded to over 76 countries and people like Amy and you and mm -hmm. everyone keeps us going to tell to help us continue to tell the story and to tell strategies about uh, or offer strategies about how to cope um, this, you know, and uh, I can just tell you that I was so refreshing to talk to you as a spouse. Um, but more importantly, it was also refreshing to get some tips and tricks during the show from you, Dr. D. So thank Thanks. you uh, for being on the show. And mm -hmm. I think we were heading in a different direction in terms of our uh, song of the week. But I think you, Laura, picked it for us. Yeah, we're going to have the song of the week is going to be how to save a life. How to uh -oh, save a life. That's it. it. And so I want to thank you. I wish you well. And uh, and and have a great week. Thanks, Amy, for guest hosting. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. And everybody's Bye. links will be placed into the description of the show. Uh, so don't worry. Have a great week, Perfect. everyone. Have a good night. Good night. You stare politely right on through some sort of window to your right. She goes left and you stay right. Just now.
Thank you for listening to another week of Bipolar Girl. In the words of Grammy Award-winning artist from Africa, Amohu Sangari, who I absolutely love, Confico, the uncertainty of things. You know, living with a mental illness or living with someone with a mental illness can be uncertain at times. But that's why we do this show. We do this show to create community and a place where you can express yourself and get knowledge. Right, honey? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason we have the show, right? Though, again, things might be uncertain, you can be certain that we're here for you. Godspeed, and have a great week. (laughs) 